Hello and welcome to this slightly delayed episode 293 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's story is from Wiltshire and involves the consequences of a seemingly minor business dispute. But before we get to it, I would like as always to thank all my supporters at Patreon, but especially the new members of this community. That's Janine Cordill and Paul Brotherton. Thank you so much for your support. A quick reminder that it's your last chance to get tickets for my live show at the Oren Moore venue in central Glasgow on Thursday, tomorrow, with Paul, host of the True Crime Enthusiast podcast, and Mike, host of the Murder Mile podcast. Amazingly, we haven't sold out yet, can you believe it? And you can still buy tickets for just £12. The link is on all my social channels. Okay, so let's set some context for today's story with our guest the month and year game. Top of the UK music charts was Will I Am featuring Eva Simons with This Is Love. In the US, at the summit was Call Me Maybe from Carly Rae Jepsen. And in Australia, it was Friend of the Show. It was the Bieber, we believe. In the news this month, the Shard, the tallest building in Europe, was opened in London at just over a thousand feet. Depressingly, South Korea announced plans to begin, I quote, scientific whaling of mink whales. What is wrong with these people? For goodness sake, leave these incredible creatures and all others alone. Bradley Wiggins won the 99th Tour de France, inspiring even more middle-aged men to wear lycra at the weekends. And Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band performed their longest show ever in Helsinki, Finland, at over four hours and six minutes. Let's hope the kings of Leon don't follow suit. And in UK true crime news, Bob Diamond resigned as the chief exec of British bank Barclays following a scandal in which the bank were greedy. Manipulating some interest rate systems, but they were being greedy. I know, I know, it's hard to believe. So did you guess the month and year? It was July 2012. Do you remember that time? It was just before the start of the London Olympics, when morale in the UK, as I recall, was sky high and we dreamt of an amazing decade ahead of us. Yeah. Let's get on to today's story, which is from Devizes in Wiltshire, which is about 90 miles west of London and 40 miles east of Bristol. On the day of the shooting, Michael Chudley calmly parked his car on double yellow lines outside Devizes solicitors, MGW Law. He told the receptionist, Daphne Courtney, to take him to solicitor James Ward. According to a witness, he was carrying a sawn-off shotgun in his right hand, pointed downwards. He appeared agitated and his voice was aggressive. He told Daphne to take him immediately to James Ward, not to speak to anybody or pick up the phone, or he would shoot her. Daphne was understandably terrified, and she didn't know what to do, and so she walked in front of Michael Chudley, upstairs, to James Ward's first floor office. 58-year-old solicitor James Ward was talking on the phone to a client, as Michael Chudley walked in, raised the gun in his right hand, pointed it, and fired once. The bullet hit James Ward and the sheer force caused the whole of the first floor window to blow out. 
Chudley then calmly walked out of the office, made his way up the building, got into his car and calmly drove away. So what had led to this terrible violence on that normal summer's afternoon in 2012? Who was Michael Chudley? Well, he owned a building company known as Kingfisher Building, along with his girlfriend Francine Whale, who was a partner with the company. Chudley was an experienced builder. He'd been in the business almost 40 years, and it had been good to him. He lived in a huge mock Tudor house, seven bedrooms, detached. Look, I'm sorry if I sound like the Daily Mail, I will stop now. He certainly wasn't a shy retiring man, and he once boasted of having a nine-year affair of a married woman who he showered with £100,000 worth of presents, including a new Ferrari and an £8,000 engagement ring modelled on that of Diana, Princess of Wales. Francine and Chudley had a relationship for about a year, and he moved into her home, Round Mill House. But even when they later split up, Chudley returned to his previous girlfriend, Chudley made plans to double Francine's house in size, adding a large Tudor-style extension. At the time, Francine was doing well. She was running a successful nearby tea rooms. But convinced by Chudley, who was very persuasive, she sold the business and invested the money in the house. The plan was to sell the home for £2.5 split the money after paying off debts, which would have given them a healthy profit each of a cool £1 million. About this time, Chudley persuaded Francine to sign a form, saying that she was a director of the firm, although she took no part in its running. What she didn't realise at the time is that by doing so, she would actually be liable for any debts that the company would incur. Equally with Chudley. Chudley often gained building work by spotting when planning permission had been granted. And this was the case when he saw a man called Christopher Sear had been given planning permission on his house in Isha, Surrey. Christopher invited him to quote on the project and he priced up the work at £218,000. To try and get the go-ahead for the work, Chudley suggested that Christopher take a look at some of the jobs he'd carried out in recent years, and he gave Christopher the details of his girlfriend Francine. But he admitted to say that this was his girlfriend and someone connected to his company, and Francine chose not to mention it either. But the extension that had been carried out on her home certainly impressed Christopher, enough for him to give the go-ahead for Kingfisher and Chudley to carry out the work, which started in June 2008. As some of you who've had building work done will know, it's not always all sweetness and light. And it's not always until the job has started that you become aware of other issues. In this case, when the roof was removed, Chudley discovered the external walls of the house were rendered clay pot tiles. Like you, I've got no idea what this means, but I do know it was bad news for Christopher, as it meant that these walls weren't sufficient to support the new structure that was planned. The walls would need to be knocked down, and there were other bits and pieces that needed doing too, but of course none of this was cheap. And Chudley had now increased his price from 218,000 to a whopping 418,000. Christopher was now in that almost impossible position that Chudley had started work, 
And though he didn't agree with the new price, believing that the job was now worth around the 300k mark, what was he to do about it? The men spoke, but the pair were unable to agree on a new price, so Chudley stopped work in December 2008, saying he'd not been paid, and so Christopher engaged other builders to continue with the project. Chudley took Christopher to court to try to recover the money that he felt he was owed. At court in May 2011, the judge found that Chudley had been paid more than he was due and he asked both parties and their legal representatives to sort out the money issues between them. But this proved impossible and there were complications. Christopher Sears' solicitors had managed to discover that Francine Whale was actually the partner of Chudley and they knew that Francine was aware that Chudley had previously been bankrupt and also had a conviction for fraud. Christopher's case to the court was that if he'd known these salient facts, he would never have given the building work to Chudley, and he asked the court to decide if Francine was a partner in this firm. The High Court judge, Mr Justice Ramsey, decided that yes she was, and her involvement amounted to fraudulent misrepresentation. He said, I found that her failure to disclose these matters when providing a reference to Mr Sear amounted to a misrepresentation. I also found that Mrs Whale acted fraudulently by participating in the charade and by giving the appearance of being an independent third party when in fact Mr Chudley was living in her house and she was a partner in that partnership. I held that the misrepresentation was made intending it to be relied upon as it was. I therefore held that Mrs Whale was liable for fraudulent misrepresentation and made an order for damages to be assessed. So this was really bad news for Francine, as the company wasn't a limited company and she was now liable for any money that needed to be repaid. Essentially, the judge made it clear that Christopher Sear was entitled to be put in the same position that he would have been in had the representation not been made. This meant he was entitled to damages, including mortgage redemption penalties, interest on personal loans, and money he had spent moving house, as he had to sell the home which was the basis of the original dispute. The figure came to almost £377,000, a huge amount, a nightmare. And on top of that, there was scheduled another court case. And on top of that, there was a legal cost case scheduled for July 2012, so that figure was just going to increase. These legal proceedings had backfired badly for Chudley, and the case caused a lot of stress for the couple. And as I mentioned earlier, they actually split in April 2011. Francine was evicted from her property following the court action. Although it wasn't all bad, she said, at least I got my freedom back and I got my children back in my life. All things that had been missing with Chudley, who was a real control freak. He liked to have absolute control over everything. Chudley's home too was repossessed, and he was forced to live a somewhat nomadic life, living in cheap rooms above pubs and sometimes in his car. And the person that Chudley blamed his misfortune on was not even Christopher Sear, 
but the solicitor acting for him. 58-year-old James Ward, a married father of three from Devizes. Chudley had made threats to him, including threats to kill, during 2012. In addition, on one occasion while in the Lamb Public House in Devizes, Michael Chudley told someone he knew to keep an eye on the newspapers. He also made notes at the Royal Oak, one of the pubs where he was renting a room, about James Ward and how there was a conspiracy against him in which Ward was the main player. On the day before Chudley killed James Ward, he told regulars at the Royal Oak that they would not see him again, but they didn't take it seriously. Why would they? And then that summer's day when Chudley walked calmly into James Ward's first floor office, James Ward didn't stand a chance. He'd been standing behind his desk on the phone when he was shot. His chair was heard to move back, then it went silent. Straight after the shooting, James's wife Nicola, a partner in MGW Law, ran outside to raise the alarm. Paramedics, including one who was off duty on the day of the shooting, rushed to help him. He was airlifted to French A Hospital in Bristol and placed in a medically induced coma. But he'd suffered a catastrophic head injury and despite all the best efforts of various medical professionals, he continued to decline and tragically died three weeks later in hospital at the age of just 58 with his devastated family at his bedside. Chudley's ex-girlfriend, Francine Whale, was constantly frustrated that even when she was not living with Chudley anymore, she was living with her daughter and her family, Chudley would not let go. He regularly phoned up, and this often involved asking for money. She agreed to put £100 in his business account on the morning of the shooting, but he rang again later, wanting another £50. She said, I got very cross and put the phone down on him. She didn't hear from him again until at 3.30pm on the same day when he rang, merely saying, I have shot Ward and it's all your fault. 30 minutes after the shooting, Chudley was arrested by police. He told them, I shot him because he made our lives a misery. He said he'd been drinking whiskey on the morning of the shooting and had just snapped and lost it. He blamed James Ward as he saw it for dragging out the case for a number of years, whereas of course in reality, James Ward as a strong professional solicitor had just been following the due process of law. When he was subsequently interviewed, Chudley made no comment, but in a written statement after he was charged, he admitted shooting James Ward, claiming that he didn't intend to kill and he was, to use his words, on autopilot. He said he had planned the shooting and having decided to shoot James Ward, he would kill himself in the master bedroom of his old house. But he gave up on that idea because the house had been repossessed and he was unable to get in. When asked how he was in possession of a gun, he explained he'd always enjoyed shooting, especially clay pigeon shooting, regularly visiting a local shooting club with his former girlfriend, Carol Smith. He had owned two expensive shotguns worth about £7,000, but he had to sell these as part of the court action with Christopher Sear. But he also owned a cheaper firearm, a Spanish job as Chudley described it, which he bought from a labourer who worked for him. 
He told how he bought the weapon because when Carol Smith had a new boyfriend, Chudley believed that this man wanted him dead, which probably says a lot about how Chudley treated Carol during their relationship. Once this perceived threat had gone, Chudley packed up the gun in a metal box and bricked it up behind a wall at his house. Then following a robbery in September 2009, Chudley took out the gun and shortened the barrel to just three or four inches beyond the end of the stock. Although he knew full well this was illegal, he said he was in fear for his life and shortening the barrel made it quicker to use. It gave it a much wider field of spray, particularly so when being attacked, as Chudley felt he would be, by two assailants at once. Michael Chudley was charged with murder. At his trial at Salisbury Crown Court, 63-year-old Michael Chudley denied murder but admitted manslaughter on grounds of diminished responsibility. He also faced charges of possession of a firearm with intent to provoke fear of violence and making a threat to kill, which he denied. When asked if he'd intended to kill James Ward, he replied, I have no idea. I was very ill at the time. I'm ashamed of what I did, but I have no recollection of what I did. The defence and prosecution agreed that Chudley was suffering from a paranoid personality disorder at the time of the murder. The defence argued this affected his self-control, so the charge of manslaughter on the grounds of diminished responsibility should apply. The prosecution disagreed, and they argued he knew full well what he was doing, and so he should be found guilty of murder. Chudley told the court, I didn't plan to kill James Ward. If I'd wanted to kill him, I'd have shot him in his home and taken his body in a car and driven off and set fire to the car. That's murder. Someone who goes into an office in front of witnesses, that's somebody who's mentally ill. That's not murder. During the trial, Chudley came across as a particularly unpleasant character. He was asked if he'd been abusive towards his ex-girlfriend, Francine Whale, to which he replied, I've slapped her when she needs it to get her to bed after a few bottles of wine, which is quite often. In response, the prosecution suggested he was a coward, but he wasn't having that at all. He said, no, I'm a lion. I can think of better descriptions, can't you? On another occasion, he was asked in the witness box whether he felt any remorse for the death of James Ward, and he replied, I don't know what the word means. I have no feelings about Ward. The jury took just two hours to find Chudley guilty of murder, for which he was sentenced to life in prison with a minimum term of 28 years. The judge was scathing towards him, saying, Four years ago, you began a court case against Christopher Sear. His solicitor was Mr. Ward, a decent, conscientious, highly respected solicitor. He did his professional duty for Mr. Sear, as he had done for many clients over the years. You lost the case and lost a great deal of money in the process, so you decided to take your revenge on Mr. Ward. You threatened to shoot the receptionist, Daphne Courtney, and forced her to lead you upstairs. I am quite satisfied that you intended to kill Mr. Ward. You fired a single shot to his head, and then walked out as calmly as you had arrived, got into your car and drove off. It was a chilling, calculated execution. Mr Ward's widow gave her evidence with dignity and composure, 
but the effect of the murder on her family has been appalling. I've read the very moving victim impact statements written on behalf of the whole family by Mr Ward's daughter Louise. She writes that her mother and sister have suffered from depression and panic attacks, which sometimes make everyday tasks into mountains. All three children of Mr Ward have lost a loving father. His mother has outlived her son. I also note that Daphne Courtney has suffered severe post-traumatic stress disorder, with panic attacks and flashbacks, which can stop her in her tracks. She writes in her victim impact statement that she was frightened beyond description by your attack and by the threat to her life. She feels a sense of guilt, though in my view there was nothing she could have done to save Mr Ward. Because you wallow in self-pity and think only of yourself, I doubt whether any of this bothers you at all. And only in the year 2040, when you'll be 90, will they be entitled for the first time to decide whether it's safe to release you. It may be that you will die in prison, but that is a possibility for which you have only yourself to blame. And with that, Michael Chudley was taken down to the cells. Speaking after the trial, James Ward's wife Nicola said, We, Jim's family, have always known that no verdict could ever bring him back. However, we are reassured by the judgment today, which shows that the justice system in this country works well. Jim was a kind, honest man and the most wonderful, loving husband and father. He was an exceptional person and will forever be in our thoughts. After the trial, there was an appeal which was unsuccessful, and in jail, Michael Chudley's health declined. He suffered from chronic heart failure and shortness of breath, and was seeing a consultant at the nearby Royal Hampshire County Hospital. But 63-year-old Chudley was found dead on the floor of his cell during a routine head count at around 5.50am on April the 8th, 2013. Prison nurses attempted CPR, but paramedics declared him dead at 6.35am. A post-mortem revealed he suffered a hemorrhage after fracturing his neck on impact of a cabinet. This was no dodgy Epstein-like death, just a man in poor physical health who died in jail of natural causes. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Michael Chudley was undoubtedly a difficult and prickly character, with just a loose grasp on morals, but very committed to making money. It wasn't the first time he'd been involved in legal action when he took Christopher Sear to court and he surely could never have guessed it would ultimately cost him his relationship, his house and his freedom. Of course, as outsiders, it's very clear for us to see that James Ward bore no responsibility for these things. But equally clearly, as Chudley saw his own life slipping away, he felt the need to blame somebody. It was never his fault. It was always somebody else and James was the person he focused on. But even so, nobody could have expected him to settle his grudge in such a terrible way. Can you imagine how the receptionist at that law firm, Daphne, felt being threatened by Chudley and then watching as he shot James in front of her? The noises, the smells, the sheer horror of such an event happening at 3pm in the afternoon in the centre of a market town like Devizes. And then the terror James Ward must have felt, 
when he realised that the man in his office was Chudley and he was carrying a gun which he raised. But as always, our final thoughts with the family of James Ward. They could never have expected that such a respected, kind and nice man, a man who worked in the law, would see his life ended prematurely by such awful violence. This isn't how it should have been. And yet for just doing his job, James Ward is no longer with us. It just isn't fair, is it? Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please head to the Facebook group. Just search UK True Crime on Facebook. (laughs) I'm a technical genius. And you will find almost 81,000 of us ready to chat. And to support the show, please head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Not only will you find over 40 bonus episodes, but there's loads of other exclusive content and competitions, such as the chance to win a copy of Justice for Helen, signed by Marie McCourt and author Fiona Duffy. That is patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Okay, so that's all for me for another week. So if I don't see you in Glasgow on Thursday evening, I'll see you back here on Tuesday for another story from the UK's 37th most popular true crime host. So until that time, take it easy. And remember, despite all the others, please stay classy. Cheerio for now.